The Athletic. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Business of Sport on The Athletic. As ever, we're joined by The Athletic's Matt Slater. Today's podcast is Olympic-themed and with a Team GB focus. We'll discuss the value of chasing those gold medals from a commercial, social and political perspective. Some good guests on this, Matt. Yeah, that's right, Chappers. We've, we've got Sport England's Director of Sport, Phil Smith, and we've got British Cycling Director, Danny Avery, and we'll be talking about funding, the link between medals and participation, uh, how sports make those investment decisions, the value of the sports sector, bidding for major events, working and also working under the huge shadow that football casts. Okay, so Phil Smith and Danny Every on the way, but first an interview you did earlier this week. Yes, on Tuesday I spoke to UK Sports CEO Sally Monday um, on a Zoom call from uh, Team GB House in Tokyo. Um, she'd been at the Velodrome that day and had just seen us win some medals, but it was a fantastic day all, all around, really, for the for the team. And I started asking her by the question that I'm sure many of our listeners who don't follow Olympic sports will be thinking right now, what is UK sports and how do they make those key decisions? The Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games is very much the centre of UK sports world. We exist to support Olympic and Paralympic sports to be successful. And we also exist to um, support major events and bringing major and mega events to the UK shores. And that's the sort of crux of what we do. And we're in a situation where we invest in those sports and invest in events and we utilize uh, lottery money so huge thank you to the everyone that plays the national lottery because they're the people that are can take a piece of all this success we're having but we're, we're we're funded by both the national lottery and the exchequer the public purse and we invest that money in sports and uh, and for the the, the Paris cycle that we're about to go into, or we're already in in some ways, we're funding around about 50 sports. And we also fund a, a whole range of major events and are working on bringing a number of mega events to this country as well. It's kind of one of the most important things that no one knows anything about. You sort of work away in the background. You do, as you say, you pitch for big events, you know, world championships, world cups, everything, Ryder Cups, you name it. And yet you are funding our winter and summer games, our Paralympic Paralymp- uh, Olympic athletes too. It's a, it's a huge role. Can you give a sense of your budget? I mean, you mentioned where it comes from. How big is your budget? We have a turnover around £125 million a year to invest. So it's just over half a billion pounds in a four-year Olympic or Paralympic uh, quad. And just to kind of put that amount of money into perspective... With that £125 million, we fund, as I said, roughly 50 sports and we bring a whole range of major events to this country. And the good comparator of that is that if you take an organisation like the ECB or the RFU, on an annual basis, they will both turn over almost double what we turn over. So we are able to fund almost 50 Olympic and Paralympic sports for around about half what those individual professional sports turn over in a year. And so that gives you a really good perspective of what we do and how we make the money uh, work really, really well to give 
Britain, all these extraordinary sporting moments that are able to reach, inspire and unite the nation. And that is just something that we feel incredibly proud about doing. And it's interesting that you would say, you know, that, you know, people don't necessarily know exist and we happily exist in the background. And, and the, the truth is we are relatively happy to exist in the background. It's not about our, our own organisation's brand. We're very keen to promote the brand of the lottery because the more people that play the lottery, we get about 4.6% of the good cause money. So once once the lottery have given their money to the good causes, we get about 4.6% of that in terms of how it's distributed. And every time somebody plays the lottery, it's contributing to getting another athlete closer to achieving their dreams and aspirations of getting on the podium. So we're very happy to promote the sort of lottery as a brand because we know that's ultimately what's going to help our athletes be successful. Yeah, it always sort of struck me that you're in a slightly unusual position because you're incredibly important sort of between games. Obviously, you then hand over the team to the BOA. You know, they, they get a lot of the glory or, you know, the criticism if things go wrong and you know and they, they used to they haven't they haven't gone so wrong thankfully for the last few games um and you also have this relationship of course with the national governing bodies where you you know are effectively funneling public money be it lottery money or taxpayers money to them to spend wisely and and the times that you do get press sally tends to be around arguments you know because you have you have a you have a decent budget it's for elite sport. You don't have to. You don't have to worry about facilities. Other people do that, and we'll, we're going to get into that later. I promise you. But you, but you have a, you have a, you have a piece of pie. You have a cake, and it's got to be sliced, right? And you've got to make tough calls. So, give me a little insight then into how UK sport decide to give this much money to that sport and that much money to that sport, and maybe no money to that sport over there. How do you do it? Historically, there has been quite a lot of emphasis on simply the sort of medal outcome. Um, But we've been evolving over the last period. And when we think about Paris and looking ahead, what we're also looking at is not simply a sort of binary, uh, a binary outcome of medals. What we're also really interested in is how we use the platform that those medals create to have a really, really positive impact on society. And whether that is through our uh, sports endeavours, encouraging people to have really uh, good positive physical and mental health, so encouraging more people to be active, whether it's around impacting on sustainability in the environment or whether it's impacting on diversity, we feel that elite sport and the success that the Olympic and Paralympic teams can have can have a hugely positive impact on society. And so moving forwards, what we're looking to do is medals are still really important to us. We have done a huge amount of public consultation and the British public have said to us, they want us to keep winning medals, but they want us to win medals well. They want us to do it with real integrity, which we we are currently doing and we intend to do, uh, keep doing. Um, But they also want us to have greater impact with those medals. And so for us moving forwards, what's really important is how we utilise that platform, as I said, to have this positive impact on society. 
So the sports will apply to us for funding. And what we're looking at, and one of the probably uh, misunderstandings out there is that a lot of people think that we make our decisions based on what performances have just taken place at a game. So a sport hasn't done well, they get cut. A sport has done well, they get more money. It's not like that at all. What we actually do is we consider what the potential is of both the next games, but also looking at things like their uh, abilities around World Cups and other events. So the Olympic and Paralympic games are, are the pinnacle, but we look at other events, but also not just looking at the next games. We're also looking at sports who may be less mature in their performance uh, programs and so may not be capable of meddling at the next games, but may be capable of meddling rather than in Paris, maybe in LA. And so we're taking a much more long-term uh, view of how we invest. And that's quite exciting because one of our big ambitions is to try and meddle in more, more sports because we really believe that the broader number of sports that we can create those extraordinary moments in, the, the bigger impact and more positive impact we can have on British society. I have to be honest that when rowing didn't do so well, five fourth places, I think it was, but a couple medals there, while BMX did really well, the conversations that I was having with friends and you know other journalists who don't cover UK sport issues quite so well was, oh, look, why are we bothering with rowing? They should just build 20 BMX tracks because we all love BMX. I mean, look, is, it, do you still understand where that comes from? Because you, you, you must hear things like that still. Yeah, absolutely. And let, let's just get some facts on the table first. And I think that's really important because there's been a little bit of misinformation, I think, around BMX. Uh, and the first thing to say is that uh, BMX have been supported for the last couple of years through British cycling and the athletes that have been successful here have been supported. So um, the uh, our amazing gold medal racer, I mean, goodness me, she was amazing. I was there. I feel I feel really privileged to have been there and see that seen that incredible, incredible gold medal. And when Kai picked her up, that was just just lovely, lovely scenes. But um, she she has been funded for the last two years. She's been a funded athlete since 2000, the summer of 2019. So just um, in terms of getting the facts out there, I think that's really important to understand. Um, yes, I know, I understand that she did some crowdfunding before that, and that's brilliant. And I really admire her for doing that because she had a dream and she wanted to make sure that she could achieve that dream. But actually when her potential was, was identified by British Cycling, they brought her onto the programme. She's now a, a funded athlete and has been for the last couple of years. So I think that's important factually. Um, but I also think we need to remember that, that BMX is kind of a, an emerging sport in the Olympic family. And so, yeah, I mean, goodness me, were, were we all expecting all four disciplines in BMX to get medals this time round. Um, I mean, they have absolutely just smashed it out of the park, haven't they? I mean, just incredible performances and um, just really, really proud to see those British athletes doing so well, well at that. If I, if I talk about the rowing piece, and I, and I think it's important to do so, if we look at rowing, it's, it's very easy. Again, if I go back to just looking at, a lot of people have said to me, oh, they only won, they've only won two medals. Surely you're going to going to cut their funding. It goes back to what I said earlier, we don't see it in that binary way. 
So we look at the sport holistically and what every sport will do post the games is they will do a review and we will sit down with their sport and understand what the future potential looks like and if there are things that should have been done differently that have led to certain results. But if you look at the whole picture for rowing, they bought the youngest, least experienced squad that they've ever bought here. I think there was something like eight previous Olympians that had been here. So a really inexperienced squad. They had two medals. They had six fourth place finishes. They had eight boats qualify for finals, which matches any other nation in the world. This is not an entirely bad news story. Rowing has delivered and delivered and delivered. And this time they haven't delivered to the level that they would have wanted to. They are going to be their own biggest critics. The athletes will be their own biggest critics. And what they'll want to do is unpack what could, if anything, they have done differently. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. I wonder if moving forward, you're going to continue to evolve and, and perhaps give sports that we've all played, be it, I don't know, badminton or basketball. Are you going to give those guys some funding or do you just have to keep making these very, very tough calls and say, well, look, we're not ready to medal there. We're not ready to qualify. So, you know, we can't give you money yet because it's, it's, it's hard earned this cash. So one of the big things that we've done differently in terms of uh, the funding for the next cycle is we were very clear that we're trying to look longer term. So we're not just looking at Paris. We're also looking at L.A. and we're also now looking at, at, um, at Brisbane. And so what that has enabled us to do is to develop a funding model that allows us to fund the sports that we believe are capable of meddling in Paris but it also allows us to support sports that are not likely or unlikely, they think at the moment, to, to medal in Paris, but might do in LA or in, um, in Brisbane. So badminton um, uh, are getting some funding. Basketball is getting some funding. We're funding more sports uh, in this next cycle than we funded uh, um, in this cycle. And like I said, we're up to, I think it's 51 sports now that we are funding in the next cycle. Really, really importantly for us is that at the moment, all of those sports have got a one-year commitment through till the end of, of this year and a three-year indicative commitment. And so the big priority for us funding-wise is getting government commitment to continuing to fund Olympic and Paralympic sport. We've been really appreciative of all of the support that we've had from government at the National Lottery over the last two decades. But what we really need to know now is that we're going to get that commitment moving forward so that we can fulfill the indicative commitments that we've made to sports. There are 33 sports here in Tokyo. Great Britain has qualified for 26 of those sports. That is so impressive when you take a step back and think about the fact that we are so good in so many sports. And, you know, there's over 200 nations here. 
and we get the opportunity to speak to other nations and so many of them say to us how is a country the size of Great Britain the size of the UK able to be so good and so competitive in so many sports and it's so down to the incredible work that so many of our governing bodies do and the people that work in those governing bodies to give athletes the best chance of achieving their ambitions and their dreams to become Olympic or Paralympic champions. But we should always be looking, always be looking to learn from what others do. Because if you think that you've got the best, then you're basically complacent and that's when you'll start to go backwards. So I really feel that we should constantly be looking at how can we be better? How can we evolve things? What is it we can learn from others? But that doesn't mean simply copying and pasting. One thing that often used to come up uh, a few years ago when I was having conversations with national governing bodies was this, this idea that they were trying to wean themselves from lottery funding in a way. They were trying to become more sustainable, which we talk about all the time when we talk about football clubs. How important is that in your decision making? If a sport, for example, was to come to you and say, we've got this amazing pipeline, we've got this great plan. Oh, by the way, though, we, we don't make any money. We need you to basically fund 99% of it versus maybe a support that goes, do you know what? We can stand on our own two feet. We've got a pretty good plan. It's quite hard out there to win medals, but do you know what? We only need basically 50%. I mean, is that is that something that, that comes into your thinking? And then sort of as a related point, when you are pitching to government, to sort of maintain, you know, the, the lottery funding and maybe a bit of exchequer funding as well. Are you able to say to them, well, look, we think there's a value to what we do. We, we, we can almost put a number on it. We, we, are, we are contributing to UK PLC in a way, be it our soft power or be it actual, you know, a financial return on doing well at sport. We are absolutely interested in the holistic picture of a national governing body. If we all buy into the same philosophy of what we're trying to achieve and we look for opportunity in how we can collaborate, I think we will drive better value for money that all organisations invest in, in, in from a sports point of view. So when a sport applies to us for funding, we're interested in looking at not just what they do in the performance space, but what they're doing in their organization and what's happening in the wider sport, both from a point of view of the sport being fit for purpose and healthy and sustainable for the long term, but also because of some of the things I said earlier, that what we're also interested in is in the impact on society. We know from uh, economic research of the amount of value that we deliver to <laughs> UK PLC, if you like, and it's in it's in it's in the you know a decent number of billions in terms of what Olympic and Paralympic sport delivers to to the UK, and that isn't just in terms of investment; it's in terms of jobs, and the value that we have is huge in comparison with other big industries that you would you would think of. The government wants to keep investing in Olympic and Paralympic sport because they know how important it is to the British people. 70% of the British people will tune in to the Olympic and Paralympic Games, 70%. Our job now is to make sure as we head into the spending review this, this, this summer and this autumn, is that we help government translate that desire and commitment into cold, hard cash. The inspiration story we know is there and the government know is there. So it should be a very easy argument to have. We know because of what's happened over the last 18 months, just how challenging things are. But 
um, we also know just how important Olympic and Paralympic sport is to this government. Well, let's just pick up on some of the points discussed there by UK Sports CEO Sally Monday with Matt. We are joined, I'm delighted to say, by Sport England's Director of Sport, Phil Smith, and British Cycling Director, Danielle Every. Just first of all, before we get into all the discussions, just give us an outline of your roles and how they work within the sphere particularly of Team GB at the moment, if you want to go first, Phil. Well, Sport England's job is to get the nation moving. Ordinary people, not Olympians necessarily, or elite athletes. We do have a role in the talent system, so it is our job to make sure that the infrastructure is there for people to reach their potential and be Olympians of the future. But mostly we're about getting people uh, off the sofa, as it were, and into activity, whether you're a first-timer or whether you're a returner or however good your ability is. And um, we're hoping to use the inspiration of the Games to get a few more people moving than we have already. So the, the difference between Sport England and UK Sport is what? Well, firstly, geography, as the name suggests, we're England (laughs) only. Um, But more, uh, sorry, less obvious than that is the fact that we do participation in community sport. Uh, So your local park and leisure centre and the places and spaces you'll be familiar with where you live and work, we're about getting ordinary people, everybody, children, adults, whoever, uh, active. UK sports role is very specific to the Olympic and Paralympic Games. It helps to prepare and then get the athletes to the Games and hopefully bring back medal success as they are doing at the moment. And Sport England isn't just concerned with Olympic sports, I'm guessing. Uh, Indeed so. So we have uh, approximately 48 different sports that we invest in to get people playing and indeed in the talent system. So that covers the Olympics and Paralympic sports. All of those are in, but also then the kind of pro sports, the likes of cricket, football, rugby, that wouldn't normally be in the Olympic Games. We do those as well. So where does British cycling then, Danielle, fit in with within UK sport and also the the balance that Phil was talking about between Olympians and pro athletes and amateurs? So British Cycling is basically a governing body with the remit across the whole pathway from learning to ride the bike um, all the way up to those uh, athletes who are competing now in in Tokyo. British Cycling is basically that governing body. Um, My role within that is really building on what Phil's just said around inspiring more people wherever they're from, whatever bike they want to use to get out there uh, and, um, and cycle their bike. Um, at the top of at top of that uh, is the talent pathway, and that is really identifying uh, young athletes with the desire and the potential to compete at an elite level. Uh, and at British Cycling, we support eight disciplines, five of which are Olympic in the Olympics, and three of which are not in the Olympics. Uh, and so, so for us at, at British Cycling, as a national governing body, our interest is really um, just inspiring that participation in communities, young people, adults, uh, very much building on what um, Phil has described for all sports. Give me an example of one of the one of the disciplines that isn't in the Olympics that falls under British cycling's remit then. Because what's maybe when I hear it, I'll go, oh yeah, fine. But it's quite an interesting, already an interesting comparison between the attention that is put on those that are in the Olympics and those that aren't in the Olympics. Absolutely. And it is the point of a much discussion uh, internally, as you can imagine. Two examples I'll give you. Uh, we've all 
loved and been hugely inspired by Tom Pidcock uh, and Evie riding in the mountain bike uh, cross country. But the downhill uh, gravity uh, is another discipline, not currently in the Olympics, but certainly very much part of our cycling family of disciplines. There's another great uh, discipline, which is cyclocross, which is a bit less known, perhaps, but a wonderful uh, wonderful discipline, which is really getting very muddy, riding around uh, uh, fields and parks, very much has a sort of park run feel to it, uh, with a few obstacles thrown in, in there. And a lot of our riders, actually, from Olympic disciplines are also participating in cyclocross and some of these other disciplines. So there's a very, so it's, it's not necessarily in cycling, you stay in one discipline. There's a lot of crossover, which again, adds another dynamic to things. No, but I suppose what the interesting thing is here, and this brings us on to the importance of both Olympic visibility and then maybe Olympic success, is parents around, well, let's, let's just take UK, although this is listened to in a whole variety of countries, but parents up and down the UK, my God, We'll go and get a BMX bike because of the success of, of of Britain and the visibility of it. They're not going to go to cyclocross at the moment, are they? Because there's no attention on it. it. It's going to be unknown if you're going to enter the world of cycling for the first time, really. Absolutely. And it is a real challenge for some of those non-Olympic disciplines. Uh, what we're trying to do at British Cycling is promote all disciplines and use, um, especially for us, the off-road disciplines, which have had such success at the Olympics, are very much in our sort of strategic plans to grow the profile, try and attract investments, and also promote that crossover where disciplines like the mountain bike, BMX, and cyclocross are just perfect for young children just going out with the family uh, and and enjoying cycling. So so it's very much on our radar that we have to try and balance up our our time and investment to to try and help those disciplines that don't feature at the Olympics. So in your experience, Phil, and then we'll we'll bring Matt in again, but in, in your experience, Phil, is Olympic visibility enough or does there need to be Olympic success. Will will climb? Will there be a massive? But I love the climbing. The climbing is one of my favourite things in the Olympics. Will there be a huge spike in interest in climbing, whether British medals are won or not? So visibility definitely matters. Success definitely helps. But more important than both of those things is a place to play. Is the infrastructure that is required to enjoy it and is a warm welcome when you get there. You've got to have a good experience. If you chappers enjoy the climbing today and decide that you or your kids or both of you want to go and have a go tomorrow, you need to have a place to go and do it. You need to have someone to show you the ropes, literally, when you get to the climbing wall, and you need to feel like it was a place where you have felt welcome, where you weren't made to feel stupid, or you had the wrong clothes, or you got the confidence to go back next week. And those infrastructure things, the hard yards of sports development that Danny does in cycling and her colleagues doing all of those other sports, they're ultimately more important than visibility and medal success, but those things don't do any harm at all. Phil, I think that's really interesting to hear you say that because that, that's that's a story that I've covered over sort of 10, 15, 20 years where there's been a medal. It could be a, it could have been the hockey medal way back when, or it could be what happens at tennis clubs after Wimbledon. It could be anything, right? And you get this rush, this almost sugar rush. And then they turn up at their local club and the local club is overwhelmed. 
don't have enough volunteers, don't have enough coaches, don't have enough access to the, because the first team's using the pitch, whatever it might be. And that's where you come in, isn't it? And I, and I, and I wonder if this is, we're loving the Olympics. We love it every four years. We all get worried before, and then we get taken over by it, and it's brilliant. But then for the next, I can't do how many weeks there would be in a four-year cycle, but you get, you get, the, you get the number, right? What, what does Taekwondo do? What does is, what is BMX do? What does climbing do? That's you, isn't it? And, and do we give you enough money? Do we, do we care about the medals too much? Well, I'm going to correct you on one thing, Matt, if you don't mind, which is it's not just Sport England. There's a whole industry out there that is in partnership with Sport England is trying to get the nation healthier and fitter. Um, we think Olympics and Paralympics aside that sport's got a massive role to play in the physical and mental health of the nation. It really matters. It's mattered even more than ever in the last year that we keep ourselves fit, that we are able to do things uh, that help us live a long and healthy life uh, and feel good while we're doing it. But back to your point about the games, there will be a surge in interest in some sports because of the visibility and because of the success in the games there'll be an increase in the number of internet searches. There'll be more people who turn up at their local club or sports centre or wherever it is. And I'm not just saying it because Danny's here, but British cycling would be the example I would choose of how to bring those things together. So long before London 2012, but certainly in the aftermath of their massive success in London, British cycling was, was ready, not just for what they were going to achieve in the games, but for what would result in the interest in people cycling afterwards. And that's the key, is the infrastructure being ready. So I don't pretend that every club will be immediately ready for that long queue of kids that hopefully they'll have tomorrow or next week at their gates. Not every club can do that because, as you've mentioned, we are largely a volunteer-run sector and people are doing their best with everything else they've got going on in their lives. But with the leadership of a body like British Cycling and all its other counterparts in the other sports, they can have some capacity built in, ready to go. And I will bet that Danny will tell you how that has been worked on for quite a few years. It's not a surprise when uh, we win some BMX medals that then kids turn up and want to do BMX. They'll be ready for that. And hopefully, Peckham included, the other clubs will be ready too. Well, I mean, look, Danny, before you do, and I do, I do want you to pick up that point. I, I, I have one for you and it's, it's similar really. And it's that, you know, I have noticed, you know, I've, I've been a big fan and I, and I, and I ride and I've sort of, you know, felt like I've sort of been along the journey with British cycling. And it started obviously with those, dare I say, the low hanging fruit type medals of the velodrome. But what have we seen? What are, what are we seeing in this games? We're seeing us win, Medals in sports, in, in, in disciplines that we struggled in before, mountain biking and, and, and BMXing. I know, I know parts of the BMX are new, but these are the more accessible parts of cycling. These are the, these are the things that my kids do. You know, when they get on a bike, they want to they ride around a field or down a track or whatever it might be, or the, or the bumpy park, you know, down the corner, around the corner. The, the best one in the world, they're not going to get on, a, they're not going to get on the velodrome a Manchester or Derby or wherever it might be. I'd, I'd like them to, if they're any good and if they really want to sort of pursue it, but it's just, it's just less likely, isn't it? So I want, I was wondering how conscious a gear change that was for British cycling. Did you, did you think let's go more accessible? 
Or did it just happen that way? Because that's just the way form happens. And you had some amazing athletes and then you've got this Tom Pickock coming through. Is it, was it, was it luck? Was it, was it judgment? I mean, it's part of a really considered strategy um, over the last, probably going back six years. And you've touched on some of the success, which is, you know, fantastic um, to see. But, but, but over the last, well, certainly our performance team um, have been following a strategy since Rio of pursuing more medals in more events. Um, particularly in mountain biking and BMX. And, and you're spot on. It's exactly because they are accessible formats of the sport. And we really firmly believe at British Cycling in that inspiration to participation piece. Uh, and for, for sure, um, we are, you know, we're absolutely thrilled <laughs> with what's happened uh, in Tokyo because because it's what we wanted. We wanted to really shine a light on the elements of cycling that perhaps uh, have have been more hidden before, and to the point that you mentioned earlier about the BMX, we know already that that uh, uh, Peck and BMX uh, club in Cardiff. Uh, we've got anecdotes galore of even in the last few days, hundreds of children turning out. A really interesting uh, story here is Trey White, who is one of the coaches at, at Peckham. He's involved in one of our partnership programs uh, with the Rafa Foundation to try and make BMX more accessible and uh, in those London Olympic boroughs. And he actually reported that there were something like five times the number of children they had bikes actually this week just because of that upsurge in interest. So. So yes, it, it has been a strategic gear change. Um, it, does, it, it doesn't, I mean, we couldn't have asked for the amount of success. Um, that doesn't come easily or automatically, uh, but certainly in terms of our long-term plans for uh, to support BMX, showcase BMX and mountain biking, some of those more off-road disciplines uh, to the community, uh, to young people, then you know, we're certainly really excited to be able to build on that success now. Do other British sports tap into how you have what your plans are post games? So, for example, have Skateboard GB had conversations with you in the in in the run up to to these Olympics? You know, and they, they've got a medal. You know, wood climbing have a conversation with you going right. Well, how how do we prepare? for extended interest or is there competition between sports because there's only a certain amount of money and interest to go around it's a really interesting point and i'm I, i'm i'm certainly of the view that we should be working as a collective in sport um with the with the ambition of getting getting the nation uh physically active whatever sport they might choose um that said i think you know there are obviously sports and, and groups of sports that it does benefit to collaborate so for us skateboarding is is an obvious one and also we've we've been working quite closely with triathlon um also and and i think that that's great and we can learn from each other and i'm hoping that we'll we'll, we'll do some more especially around coach education uh, and competition formats with skateboarding in the future uh, in terms of the competition element, uh, look, there's always an element of competition, and and um, you know it's a, it, there's so many wonderful sports for young people to choose. I think all we can do as British Cycling is is um, offer uh, a range of opportunities. Um, really, really passionate about what Phil described as, as that that environment being suitable and positive, that first experience, that pathway for for people in cycling. 
to uh, be able to follow either whatever path they want, whatever their age, ability, background, and making sure that we've got that infrastructure there and can support that. Um, but also cycling is a, a great sport that you can dip into. You, you don't necessarily uh, have to have to start in cycling. And we, we actually get a lot of riders who come to cycling after other sports. Uh, and that's really interesting as well. So I do think as in general, it, it's more effective for us as a nation to collaborate together. Phil? The Xbox and PlayStation and all the other distractions that young people might have in the world right now. I think we've made the mistake in the past to cannibalising in sport where we pursue each other's participants. Uh, there is, of course, always a great example of one athlete who's good at something who could have made it in another sport. But those people are pretty rare. And generally speaking, we're all working together to help the nation be fitter and more active and if I might say so to enjoy their life not everybody by definition is going to be an Olympian or a Paralympian in fact it's a very very tiny percentage as you will know most people play sport for fun and that's okay um, they'll reach their potential and they'll still have a great time while they're doing it if as Danny says they're given a great experience and they can find something accessible and easy near them. And that works for us. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Just on the uh, on the facilities side of things, and this is with a, with a look at the, the, the future as well, because going into... Birmingham and the Commonwealth Games, I guarantee there will be huge discussions in the media about the validity of the Commonwealth Games, how important they are. If you go back to the discussion of facilities, I know you mentioned London 2012, but and, and I am biased because obviously this is a city that I come from, but you could argue the the regeneration of, of, of UK sports started with the Manchester Commonwealth Games and the facilities there and the legacy there, and certainly the velodrome for, for British cycling and and the aquatic centre as well, which are all available for public use. So, Britain, rather England's three made. Well, no, actually, we'll do. We'll, we'll Glasgow Commonwealth Games as well. So we'll throw them in. You're going to have four major UK cities that have all hosted games in the last twenty years with facilities available to the public. Once Birmingham is done and dusted, Phil. Absolutely, it's massively important not just for the games to have the kind of venues that the athletes can perform in and the crowds can enjoy, but if I use Birmingham as a prime example, we are investing a lot of national lottery money into Birmingham for the games in a year's time, precisely so that those venues use can be for community use after the event so instead of perhaps what used to happen which is you build a venue for the games and then think what shall we do with it afterwards the opposite is now true so in Sandwell where the swimming is going to take place and the diving in Birmingham 
we're building a community pool there uh, because for the other 364 days of the year, it'll be in use by the good people of the West Midlands. And it can then be converted, if you like, for the period that the games needs to take place with the crowds and the stands and the and the extra facilities. So I think that's definitely moved on. The same has been true in London, where there was an enormous amount of scepticism that we'll all remember about the amount that was spent on the London Games. But if you live in London, as I do now, uh, and you go to Stratford and you see those facilities and you see the use that they're put to by uh, the people of East London and beyond, uh, what a legacy that is for the Games. And the same, I hope, will be true in Birmingham. Yeah, I just, I just a question for both of you, really. And, you know, Danny, you can go first. I mean, because I think British cycling is a really good um, counter-argument to this statement that I'm going to make because it's one that comes around quite regularly, particularly, you know, whenever the Olympic Games are on. And there's this idea that, that big major events do not drive participation and that um, host nations, if you go back through history, have, have repeatedly failed to deliver on their, on their participation targets. Now, I, I, because I sort of covered London 2012, always find that a slightly, um, well, sort of incorrect statement, really, because there was a massive increase in participation between sort of getting the games in 2005. And that's the bit that often people forget, that massive build-up towards the games. And okay, it then got harder. It then did get harder and the sort of progress stalled. But we did, we did make a difference. And I think cycling is perhaps a really good example of that, just in terms of your membership, in terms of participation, in terms of races, you just, you, you name it. But it's difficult, right? It is hard. It is not as simple as, you know, win medals, participation goes up, or host a major event, could be the world, could be Tour de, Tour de France, come to Yorkshire, whatever it is. So how do you do that? How do you measure it? How do you then say to your sponsors, look, I've done it. How do you say to government, Sport England, government, Quangos, et cetera, look, I can, I can prove to you this medal or this event has driven this. Give me more or let me do more and I can do it. I can do even more. How, how do you do that? Well, first of all, it's really complicated, isn't it? There's a lot of different factors. And, and you're right. Um, we were, you know, in British cycling, managed to take a, a membership on the back of uh, London from 20,000 to, to now sort of 150,000, which was a really unprecedented growth. I think... Well, one thing was on the back of London, we were able to secure um, some significant um, investment. Uh, we had a really successful partnership with HSBC. Uh, it truly was a part partnership. And through that partnership, um, we managed to achieve targets like a million more women cycling, um, two million more uh, on, on their bikes. Um, and and, and that, that was fantastic. Uh, but uh, but it's, it, it's certainly taken a while. Um, I think in terms of the medals and the events and the venues, uh, it, it's, it's, it's quite a cocktail that's required because certainly in Lee Valley is a great example. We are working still in, in great partnership with Lee Valley and with UK Sport and, um, and Sport England to, to make sure that from a cycling perspective, there is that legacy and we are continuing to work with Lee Valley with some of our programs to in, ensure that that community access. I think it's also worth saying that uh, on, on the BMX side, as a result of bringing the Road World Championships, which we did in partnership with UK Sport, to Harrogate in 2019, 
Um, the legacy has enabled us to invest 3.6 million in BMX facilities alone. And, and that, that is very, really recent. And so we talked earlier in the call about being ready. These are some of the things that have happened um, in the last few years, which should really prepare ourselves for an upsurge in, in participation. But as you say, our next challenge is to prove to, um, to public funders, partners, uh, commercial investors, that some of those off-road uh, uh, disciplines are worth the investment and that we can scale up that participation in the way that we really want to in this next next decade. Where does diversity fit into to all of this, uh, Phil, uh, particularly when it comes to funding and, and how much money is given to various sports? Um, I hear so I've done enough Olympics and spoken to enough athletes and researched enough backgrounds to know that there are plenty of kids from working class backgrounds who are involved in what you would call the elite sports that get a, a lot of funding, okay? Because there is not one size fits all. It's not all people who went to Eton or, or live in Henley who do rowing, as an example, okay? But there will always be the argument that certain sports are more accessible to working class communities than others, and they don't necessarily get the funding that the so-called perceived elite sports get. So, you know, as we as we are enter into the this, you know, the 20s, when you talk to commercial partners and other funding partners, how how big is that diversity? For too long, the people with the most to gain from sport and being active have been the least able to take part in many cases. The data is very clear on that. Um, and as a result of the disruption of last year, 2020, those inequalities have been reinforced. So you are much less likely to play sport depending on your ethnicity or your disability or your economic status. That's really clear, indisputable from the data, which is why I think it's really important that not are we not just successful on the medal table with Team GB, but the backgrounds of the athletes is really interesting and important. And, I, and I've been really pleased to see the level of concentration on the background of some of the athletes and our uh, best winners during the games. To see someone like Kai White, uh, a young black man, win at cycling, quite unusual. And I think that's important. To, that he represents his community and lots of other young black kids will see him on his bike and perhaps be inspired. To see Tom Daly talk about not just being an Olympic champion finally, but to be a proud gay man. I think that's important when he said that. I think it's important that you see Sky Brown as a young girl throwing herself around the skate park for other young girls to see that they can be active and brave and daring and they don't have to just be stereotypical uh, interest for young girls. And I think you'll see later this year, the Paralympics has been important since 2012, certainly when we put on a brilliant show there for people with disabilities. Now, of course, people with disabilities are not necessarily looking at the Paralympics and thinking I could do that. Again, the same with the rest of us in the Olympics. But it's really important to show representation. And if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I'm sure Danny will be the first to say in cycling, we've got, we've got issues in sport. Uh, the likes of me as a you know, white male middle class guy, I've never felt any barrier whatsoever 
to taking part in all the sports I've tried and others have. Let me throw a stat in there, uh, Phil, to, to, to highlight that, which I heard this morning, and like you, as a white, middle-aged, middle-class man, and when I heard this stat, I was like, it, it completely and utterly blew my mind, which was Alice Deering has been uh, Team GB's first black swimmer, and she was in the in the uh, 10K event, and she finished 14th, but she founded uh, a black, co-founded Black Swimming Association. And one of the other co-founders came on uh, another show that I was doing this morning, and, and he said that there were, 90%, according to their research, 90% of uh, black children who, who don't swim and 85% of black adults that don't swim. So and it absolutely blew me away because in the main, and Alice Deering and Alice Deering's mum has talked about this as well, you know, when they went to the swimming, they they were the only black people at the at the gala or at the swimming bass, and there would be people pointing. And when you hear that stat as a white middle aged middle class man, it, it because going to the swimming bass is the most natural thing. Well, not the most natural thing, but but a very natural thing to do for a lot of us with our kids, and to hear that is absolutely shocking. So when you talk about what representation can do, that stat for me is is sharply in focus in every debate that I would have about it now. The work of the Black Swimming Association is certainly important. I've met recently with a similar group, Black Golfers, and you probably, if you've ever been on a golf course, you will have noticed the same profile of people taking part. Uh, and other sports have got similar issues, and it's not just about um, the black community, but also representation of various different uh, minority groups and people who are less uh, able or less welcome to take part sometimes. So to put some positive news on there, the sport industry is now alive to this. I won't say we've, we are fixing it, but we are certainly alive to it, that for too long the sport industry has been designed by and for people like me and therefore we've not necessarily noticed when we've excluded other people consciously or unconsciously and I'm really pleased to say that now sport is waking up to it now in terms of the talent system we've got various things going on there I've got a partnership with the university in East London we've got a sailing academy that is uh, in, a, in an inner city place looking at the sort of young kids who would never normally get in a boat getting amazing results we're doing some fantastic stuff up in Middlesbrough. I could go on. The point being, it's not just important for an ethical and moral point of view, but I think for the relevance and to use a business of sport expression, the brand value of Team GB needs to stay high. And it will only stay high if the people who represent this country look like the people of this country. It's really, really important for brand value, as well as relevance, as well as the moral and ethical standpoint. If I might say so as well, I think we'll get even more medals if we start picking a team from an even bigger pool of people. Wouldn't you think? We'll do even better. Yeah, no, well, I'd agree with that. And I'm glad you I'm glad you use one of our cliches there, Phil, because I want to finish with, well, certainly for me anyway, for, for sort of, this is the Business to Sport podcast, and we often talk about football. Um, and it was funny you were saying you, we, should, we shouldn't compete. We're not cannibalising. But let's be honest, NGBs compete all the time 
All right. Even in the research for this podcast, there were some quite interesting comments about some people being doing quite well and some people not doing so well. I know it's all fun. Of course, it's fun. But you're both from football. Well, you've both worked in football. You've both worked for the Football Association. You know, the other major events this summer, of course, is the Euros. And they're talking about their legacy and what they want to sort of what the stories they want to tell. Um, now, let's be honest, working in any other sport in this country apart from football is a challenge at times because of football, because we spend so much time talking about football, because football is always on the radio, always on TV, always on the back pages. Danny, having, having, having come from one to the other, you worked at St. George's Park, I know, and you, you know, played a wonderful role there. How do you do it? How does British cycling, you know, grab some of the attention, grab some of the love. You know, Mark Cavendish won, won, won the green jersey. He's one of the sports comebacks of all time. Whilst the Euros was going on, I was banging on about it, but, but were the back pages a little bit, a bit more than they used to. But how do you do it? It's a difficult one. We're not going to be able to compete, I don't think, with the weekend weekend in, weekend out of, of football coverage. And, and that's fantastic because so many people are passionate and involved, engaged in, in that, which is a wonderful sport. But I think for us in cycling, we're, we're a little bit unique, perhaps fortunate in ways. For us, I mean, we've noticed um, 1.4 more children riding during COVID, for example. And so for us, you know, we've got this great platform of, of the Olympics and we'll definitely do all we can to maximise that. But we have to remember that for, for, for us in cycling, it's, it's great if we can promote cycling as a, as a way to get to another sport. So, for example, it's wonderful to see Parkrun now suggesting that, you know, try not to take your car and, and, and try to cycle to the event. And I think that's a really powerful message for us in cycling, where, where cycling can be for everyone, even if you do other sports. Uh, and hopefully we can uh, hook enough people uh, on, on the great variety, because, again, uh, you know, we're really fortunate that we have so many different wonderful options uh, for, for friends, for family, for young people, for adults, whether it's competing or just hanging out with your friends. Um, you know, the, the options are almost endless in cycling and we just need to, to build that and make sure, as we, went, as we discussed earlier, that experience is, is great. Uh, Phil, a final one on that for, from you. Although I, 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 the only thing I slightly disagree with Matt on is putting all football together because I think I think I think it's everybody against the Premier League. I don't mean I don't mean you know, but I think you talk to women's football, for example, or maybe League One or League Two, and it's it's no, we we ha- we will have the same battle as cycling or or equestrian or whatever it is. It is the behemoth of the Premier League over over everybody else. Well, I would say that football is not the enemy for the rest of sport and not just because I am a, a football fan, football coach, football player. You know, it's in my blood for sure. But there's a big market out there for sport. Uh, you mentioned women's football, Mark. What a massive opportunity that is for growth. Uh, to offer something that many young girls uh, have never had the chance to do before, an increasing number now, I'm pleased to say, uh, what an opportunity there is there for to bring more people of a different sort into that particular sport or sport generally. I'd also say there are plenty of young people who are currently inactive and taking part in no sport at all. So rather than looking at football, and thinking, how can we get some of those people into our sport? 
I, I would be going into that clear blue water of people who are inactive and looking for the sort of thing that they could do and enjoy. And there's no better time than the Olympic Games to see the variety that's out there. What a great reminder of the different activities that you could take part in. Uh, and I'd encourage anybody to have a look and have a go. Really interesting. Lovely to have you both on. Thank you very much for joining us on this pod and giving us your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's it. Don't forget, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, head to theathletic.com slash football pod for a 33% discount off the price of an annual subscription. Theathletic.com slash football pod and you'll get 33% off the price of an annual subscription. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.